Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Grace Church. How are y'all doing today? All right. Uh, so today, um, we've got something really exciting happening. Uh, we're going to have a full teaching time, but after the teaching time, we are going to have a time of commissioning and prayer for Brian and Kirsten Donahue. Uh, as you know, Mark and Kathy next month will be retiring and moving forward, and um, so we are excited to be able to do that and to bless them today. And so, <clears throat> because of this event happening after uh, the teaching today, uh, I selected this passage from Luke 19, 11 through 27. Um, it's the parable of the minas, which is a little bit different from the parable of the talents. It's similar, there's a couple differences there. Um, but what I want us to think about before we get into this is Jesus' use of storytelling, his use of parables. Because sometimes we can read a parable and be tempted to push it beyond its intended meaning. I like to think of Jesus' parables as like brushstrokes that an artist is using in a painting. And that brushstroke tells us something about the kingdom of God. And then another brushstroke tells us something else about the kingdom of God. And the cool thing about storytelling is that it doesn't just engage the intellect, it engages the imagination, right? And it engages sometimes the emotions. So in this case, with this parable, in Luke 19, the cool thing is that Luke tells us why Jesus told the parable. That doesn't happen all the time, but he tells us. So let's pray, and then we'll get into the word together. Lord Jesus, we come before you just celebrating who you are. We love you. We want to serve you well. And we recognize, Lord, that we need revelation from your Holy Spirit. It's not adequate for us, Lord, to just process your word with our human intelligence. We need our hearts transformed by the movement of your spirit. And Lord, that is something only you can do. So I pray that you would do that in us all today through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Luke 19, 11. While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because... He was near Jerusalem, and they supposed, the disciples, in other words, supposed, that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So Luke gives us the purpose for this parable being told. What was the purpose? To correct expectations. The disciples were supposing something that wasn't accurate. And so this, that's the purpose, that's the brushstroke of this parable, is to correct incorrect expectations of the disciples. So at this point in his ministry, Jesus is on his final journey to Jerusalem. He's in Jericho. And if you think about it, in the disciples' point of view, that Luke says Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. He was determined to go to Jerusalem. The problem was that Jerusalem was a very, very hostile place for Jesus at this point. The disciples knew that. So they see Jesus is setting his face to go to this hostile environment What's going to happen? Well, they assumed that the Messiah, who they knew Jesus was to be, what was, 
was to be uh, uh, sort of throwing off his disguise and saying, okay, this is it. I'm here. Romans, get out of here. I'm setting up my kingdom. So this was the disciples' expectation. Like it says, they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. And so this makes sense of something that's always a little puzzling when you hear the disciples always carping with each other about who's the greatest. And, you know, honestly, for me, I'm like, okay, who's the greatest fisherman? Who, who's the greatest tax collector? What are they talking about? This. Because with any king who comes into power, there are appointments. There are appointments to positions of power. Do you know that still happens today in a democracy? Do you know how many jobs the governor of Virginia gets to uh, appoint when he takes over a new governor? I had to look it up. I didn't know. I figured, oh, his cabinet, 12, 15, plus maybe 50, 75 other jobs. Try 900. So it still happens today. When someone acquires power, they are able to appoint other people into positions of power and authority. This is what the disciples were expecting. James and John wanted to cut Peter out of the loop. They knew that they were the top three, and so they got their mom to come in and say, hey, Jesus, can you do something for me? I'm not going to tell you what it is. Jesus is like, I'm not going to play that game. So anyway, this is what the disciples were expecting. <clears throat> so here's the beginning of the story. A nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. This kind of thing actually happened in that day. Archelaus, who was over... Samaria, Judea, Idumea, in 4 BC, actually went to Rome to get the authority over those districts. So this actually happened. So he called 10 of his slaves and gave them 10 minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. So he's telling the disciples, look, you're not going to receive an appointment to a position of power. What you're going to receive is a little something to do business with. And that Greek word for doing business, the English word today is pragmatic. It's related to that word, right? So it means to trade, to do things in the hustle and bustle of everyday uh, work. So I wanna just have us focus for a minute on this idea of doing business. Jesus is saying, do business until I come back. Think about where we are now. Jesus is gone. He's coming back. We are in this period of time exactly what this parable is talking about, and Jesus is saying, do business until I come back. So I just want to take an aside for a minute and talk a little bit about what's involved in doing business. I happen to know a little bit about that because it's sort of been my career, small business person. So we're just going to think about this for a minute. What do you need to have to do business, to start a small business? These people had each received a minor. Number one, initiative. I remember the point where I started a business, I had my business cards, I had my business plan, I had everything, and then all of a sudden this sort of realization dawned on me. Nobody knows or cares that this company exists. It's a little daunting. And so 
it takes energy, it takes initiative, it takes determination, and I might add a little bit of courage. Number two, risk. <clears throat> we don't think about that. But it's impossible, if you say, I want to be an entrepreneur, but I want zero risk, forget it. <laughs> it's impossible. You know, even Jesus grew up in an entrepreneurial family. Well, his father had to invest in tools, right? He needed carpentry. You can't work with wood with your fingernails. You need tools. We need to think about that. It means we've got to take a little bit of risk. You know, I've got a great story about risk. My stepson, Salia's son, and I have their permission to tell this, who I love, he's a Peruvian young man. He, this guy's a born entrepreneur. Salia said that from the time he was 10 or 12 years old, he's making deals, he's buying and selling stuff. He was making deals with American missionaries to come here and buy computer parts for him so he could fix computers and resell them in Peru. So anyway, he, by the time he's 18 or 19 or 20 years old, he's got this chunk of savings from all this work he's been doing. And to Celia, it's like, oh, my son has a nest egg. It's security. Well, that's not the way an entrepreneur thinks about that. So one day, these, the door, uh, not, someone knocks at the door, and these huge boxes start to come in, one after the other after the other for this delivery truck. They filled up half of her living room. And so when he gets home, she says, what, what is that? What's going on here? He says, oh, Mama, remember, uh, I showed you that fake leather jacket that I really liked. She says, yeah. Well, that's what's in these boxes. These boxes are all full of that jacket that you showed me? Yeah. My goodness, how much of your savings did you spend on these jackets? All of it. Are you crazy? Are you insane? And then she says, I don't want to see these jackets anymore. I don't want to know anything. Take them out. You know, and, and, and so, but she said a month later, you know, her curiosity was killing her about this. She says, okay, how many of these jackets do you still have left to sell? He says, those jackets? They're long gone. I sold all of them. And so he knew what Peruvian young men wanted, and he made a deal with a Chinese manufacturer, and this is what an entrepreneur does. So there are different levels of risk. I have never taken a risk quite that big in business, but there are different, good entrepreneurs do that. So there's a level of risk involved in doing business. And then perseverance. Okay, we're talking about while Jesus is gone, working with the resources and gifting that he's given us, we have to expect difficulties. If you start stepping out in something that God has given you to do, it's not going to be easy. You know, the bowling pins are not going to all fall over. It's going to be tough. You're going to have to work through stuff and learn and make mistakes. So let's go back to the passage and see how this all unfolds. It's really fascinating. So when he returned, so the nobleman returns after receiving his kingdom, he's got the power, he orders these slaves to whom he had given the money to be called to him so that he might know what business they'd done. Okay? Time of accounting here. 
The first appeared saying, Master, your mina has made ten, ten, ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good slave, because you've been faithful in a very little thing, you are to be in authority over ten cities. First thing to notice here, notice the attitude of the servant. It's kind of remarkable. He says, your mina has made ten minas more. It's almost like, he says, yeah, I just, you know, didn't really do anything. Your mina did all of this. No, it didn't. <laughs> You're not going to get ten times the return by just doing nothing. But he gives credit to the master. Also, your mina, it's not my property. He acknowledges that it's his property that's been entrusted to me. It's a beautiful attitude. And what happens now? Look at the end of this verse. You're to be an authority over ten cities. What's Jesus saying? There's going to come a time when there's going to be appointments to power by the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark it down. It's amazing that this is his plan, is that his children would be placed in positions of power and authority in his kingdom. And when you think about the brilliance of God, how wise and how smart he is, what's the preparation for that? It's frailty. It's human weakness. Do you ever get discouraged about your own limited understanding, about your own mistakes, your own weaknesses? It can be discouraging sometimes. But we have to persevere and work through these things because Jesus has something mighty and something wonderful in store for us ahead in eternity. So the second servant comes and has a similar story. You gave me one mina. I'm returning five. And then the third, what happens? Another came saying, Master, here is your mina which I kept put away in a handkerchief for I was afraid of you because you're an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down and reap what you did not sow. You know, I had to chuckle on this handkerchief business because this, uh, this commentator, Richard Trench, he's a guy a long time ago, 17th century commentator, he noticed that this Latin word for handkerchief was actually sweat cloth. And, and it's a Latin word. And in the day, back in the day, there's so much, you know, manual labor that the laborers all carried a sweat cloth because, you know, you sweat getting in your eyes. Everybody had their sweat cloth. So he says, yeah, this servant didn't need the sweat cloth for its intended use. You know, you can picture this guy saying, man, I need something to wrap up his mind and put it away. Ah, my sweat cloth. I'm not going to be needing that, you know. Master's away. This servant, his attitude was, I'm going to put this out of mind. I'm going to put this out of sight. He felt no responsibility. He took no pains for his master. He didn't care, frankly, if his master's mina gained value or not. But what's worse is you look at his attitude toward the master. Can you see it in there? Blame shifting. Oh, it's not my fault. It's your fault because you're a hard guy. And by the way, you unfairly treat people and you reap where you didn't sow. No, that's not actually true. He was sowing when he gave you the mina. There's fear. There's no trust. There's a negative attitude. And I just want to stop for a minute 
and, and talk about this because, you know, sometimes in our understanding of what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ, we forget the most basic things. When I trust Jesus to forgive my sin and to cleanse me, and I receive him into my life, that means I'm reconciled with God, according to the scripture. Reconciled means that my relationship was broken, but now it's healed and it's made right. Look at this statement of Paul. It's a very famous statement of his. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So when you come to faith, when my sin is given up to Christ and his righteousness is given to me, like it says there, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might be the righteousness of God in him. We have to learn how to love Jesus. We have to learn how to love God. That broken relationship is restored in Christ. And so this slave had a broken, unhealed relationship. It was terrible. And so in the context of this parable, I want to point out that it isn't just do business. That's not the fundamental thing. The primary thing is a right relationship with the master. That's where we start. Anything that's done out of a bad attitude or out of bitterness or resentment, you know, we, we sometimes carry resentment and bitterness in our heart toward God that doesn't get dealt with. We have to get help. We have to get prayer. We have to deal with that and root that out and figure out what's going on. And then we're capable of doing business for the kingdom. So, the master says, by your own words, I'll judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I'm an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I didn't sow? Then why didn't you put my money in the bank and having come, I would have collected it with interest? So the nobleman, the master, totally exposes the false words of the servant. He says, yeah, you know what? If it was really true that you were afraid of me and therefore you didn't want to take the risk you didn't want to invest, if that were really true, but you still cared about my interests, then you would have put it in the bank. But the truth is you don't care about my interests. The truth is you put it out of sight and out of mind. The truth is you had your own agenda. You didn't want to be bothered. So what happens next? The master says, take the mina away from him, give it to the one that has 10, and then the final statement here. Jesus says, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. So this statement doesn't just appear here in this parable. It appears in several other places in, in the Gospels where Jesus makes this similar statement in, in other places. And so <clears throat> how do we understand that? What does that, what does that mean for us? Well, I think it means that we have to do those three things that I listed earlier in this teaching. That in faith, we initiate with the gifts that we have. We step out, we take some level of risk. 
Nothing's going to happen until we do that. And then we persevere. We have to persevere in those things which God is calling us to do and has equipped us to do. If I'm in a place where I'm a believer and I say that I love Jesus, but I put the interests of his kingdom out of sight and out of mind on a daily basis, there's something wrong there that I need to think about and I need to pray about and I need to bring before the Lord. So, I have two applications of this. I have one for us as individuals, and then I have another one for us as grace, as, as a body, okay? So the first point of application, a single word. <laughs> easy, easy to remember. Awareness. Awareness. Am I aware that I have been entrusted with gifts and resources from the Lord Jesus that actually are his property. Think about that. It's his gift, that the gift of the Spirit that he has given to me. And it isn't just the spiritual gift. It's all of you. It's your intellect. It's your reasoning capacity. It's your personality. It's, your, it's who you are. But a part of that, of course, is your spiritual gift. So, Am I aware that I've been entrusted with something and there's nobody who's a believer who hasn't been entrusted with this? Peter says, as each one has received a special gift. Each one. That's all of us. So awareness of that. Am I aware of his clear command to do business until I come? And third, am I aware of my attitude toward Jesus, of my attitude toward God, my true attitude, not the attitude I want to have, but the attitude that I really have? Because if I've got the interests of the kingdom of God wrapped up in a napkin and put away, can I really say that I love Jesus? Can I really say that if I don't care about his interests at all? I've been reconciled. I've been reconciled to God. That means that bitterness against him is a thing of the past. Sometimes we need to look at the foundation of our lives, and if there's something wrong in our relationship with God, we need to face into it, look at it, and deal with it. So, that's our personal thing, awareness. For the application for us as a body, I have a corny analogy for you. Okay? And, and the reason is, is that sometimes we remember corn and we forget profound things. That's just the way, it's just the way it works with me sometimes. So, here we go. We love rack. The glove rack at Home Depot or Lowe's, wherever you prefer. Have you ever stood in front of the glove rack and paid attention, looked at it? I have. I happen to like gloves, work gloves. It's a genetic thing. My I made fun of my dad for this, and you know, it just, he's laughing, you know, because I like him too. 
But if you stand there and pay attention and look carefully, you will see that each glove is designed for a specific purpose. So if it's a pair of gloves for an auto mechanic, guess what? It's got rubber bumpers on the knuckles. We, we all know why. And, and it's got the dexterity to pick up little things. But a guy that's going to be taking down some old rusty barbed wire, he needs gloves that are puncture-proof, like some tough leather gloves. They don't have to be uh, high-dexterity gloves. And then the, probably those red gloves in the picture, those are chemical-resistant gloves. You know, you ever read the back of the Roundup when you're going to put, you know, put that on your weeds? And you're like, okay, definitely don't want that in my skin. So what does that have to do with anything? Well, <clears throat> at the glove rack, you stand in there and look at it, you realize that all these highly capable gloves designed for a purpose are just hanging around with each other doing nothing. It's amazing for us to gather here in worship. I love being with you all. I love just the, the profound sense of God's presence. We are all strengthened. We are strengthened as we share with one another, as we teach one another. But you know what? We're designed for more than that. Every one of us in this body is designed for more than that. And can you imagine when a professional mechanic grabs a pair of those gloves off of that rack and takes them to his shop and takes out a rusty old exhaust system in an old truck and puts in a brand new shine and the gloves were involved in that. That's what God's spirit wants to do with us, with each of us. Yes, we're together. But you have a sphere of influence. I have a sphere of influence. This is what we're made for. And you're made to do things that I can't do on my best day, couldn't do. But you have that. What is it? And how can we as a body be outward focused? Yes, to enjoy our time and share together, but to be thinking about what God wants to do through us together as a body in our sphere of influence. So, this leads us not surprisingly, to this time of prayer and commissioning for Brian and Kirsten. So I want to ask them to come up and the elders to come up. And, and, you know, while they're coming up here, I just want to say that, it, that if you've listened to this teaching today and you know them, you know that they exemplify this parable well, for me, maybe better than anybody I know. And it's so exciting for us that they are going to be stepping into this role. So we have uh, the elders here. Got, Kenny's going to speak, and then uh, Joe, and then Jay's going to lead us in prayer. So, Kenny, I'll turn it to you. you guys come over here. That work? There we go. All right. Yay. Okay. So, you know, the word commission means to grant authority to someone to carry out a particular action or function. So today the, uh, the elders, uh, on behalf of the body, we're going to 
grant authority for, to Brian and Kirsten to lead us into this next season as a body. Now, you all know that today's the official commissioning, but they've been hard at work for over a year now. They've already been leading and, and guiding the course of our future as a church. Uh, as you know, Kirsten's been creating new modes of ministry, like the um, around-the-table discipleship classes, where people were asked to uh, lead a Bible study, a book study, do something on a Sunday morning. And it was exciting to see some folks who never really get to teach at Grace teach in one of those classes. Uh, she's also created new forms of us getting together as a community, like the 4th of July celebration, where you had that little parade with the kids, the St. Patrick's Day party, um, the child dedication service. That was all Kirsten designing that. And then we've done these celebration Sundays every six or seven weeks where we've changed up the service. We've given people an opportunity to share or teach. Uh, and again, what, what Kirsten and Brian are trying to do is get people to put on their gloves, like like Jim just pointed out, equipping the saints for the work of service and changing things up a little so that we can get more people putting on their gloves. Now, Brian, he's been involved with um, church finances, which is probably not his favorite thing to do, but he's got financial background, and we've needed somebody to be, you know, keeping an eye on our finances. Uh, we've actually changing banks, which is more complicated than you would think. Um, and, and Brian's been leading the charge as we change banks. Uh, also, you know, both Brian and Kirsten have been looking to the, f to the future, like when we move out of this building, the, the property, uh, managing the property, beginning to put plans together for a new building, what that's going to look like. Um, and then they're both working with the people at Menelison Middle School, working out the rental agreements with them working on transitional spaces like where the, where the office is going to be when we're not in this building anymore. That takes a lot of time and energy to work on all those things, and that's the things behind the scenes you haven't seen that they've been doing. And um, so the other thing to remember is they're still doing Kiram House. Uh, they're doing Kiram. It's full-time ministry. They founded that 18 years ago. And when you think about Kiram House, isn't it all, it, a lot of it, it is, is it, it's about inviting people down there to put on their gloves to see the kingdom of God come to that little uh, barrio in, in Nogales, Mexico. You can't go to Kiram House and not get your hands dirty, literally. And, and as you serve there, and over 3,000 people have served at Kiram House in the 18 years, um, you discover who you're gifting, who's God made you to be. And, um, and so... What they've done at Kiram is kind of what they want to help us do here, is put our gloves on and get to work to see God's kingdom come here and around the world. So, um, and then I just wanted to share, you know, what's my role look like while Brian and Kirsten have been here? I feel like I'm the coxswain in a boat. I don't know if you know what that word is, but the coxswain is the guy who watches the rowers and makes sure that everybody's rowing at the same stroke so they're not, we're not going crooked. crooked. So... I feel like I'm the guy that's just like keeping it all together, making sure we're serving well together. It's been a delight to work with Brian and Kirsten this year. Uh, they're a very gifted couple, as you know. Uh, deep love for God and a deep love for this body. And I, we're all very grateful that God has called them to lead us into the next season of ministry. And so today we just want to officially commission them to what they've already been doing for a while now. And 
Joe has written a more formal declaration of, uh, or statement of commissioning. Hi, my name is uh, Joe Tanian. I thought I'd just share a word about the gloves since we're on that theme. Um, when I was in college, I had to ask a professor to give me a review. And uh, the professor told me, I remember in the writing it said he has great potential. I was so proud of that. I was naive, you know. I was proud of those words. But then later on, I, it came, I understood, like, that's not so positive. It's like I'm those gloves on the rack. I, you know, those gloves have great potential, but they're just sitting on the rack. And one of the things I'm most excited about with Brian and Kirsten is they're going to pull you off the rack. They're going to pull you off that rack. So he has done that with the elders even to some extent. So I'm, I'm really grateful to him. So I have some formal words here of affirmation, confirmation, and prayer. The elders of grace, with great gratitude to our Lord Jesus Christ, want to affirm the calling of God upon Brian and Kirsten as grace ministry leaders. It is clear that the Lord has called and chosen Brian and Kirsten as leaders who recognize their primary role in growing and equipping us, the members of grace, into the image and likeness of our Lord. They are committed to this endeavor so that we may step forward more boldly into the calling Jesus has upon each of us. The elders, having this common vision with Brian and Kirsten, have a confident faith in confirming and delegating authority that is derived from our Lord Jesus Christ upon them to serve fully in their calling. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of his church. The elders of grace see each of us as living stones whom are built up into a spiritual house. Today we ask that all of Grace Church pray for a special blessing and anointing upon Brian and Kirsten, that they may remain adjacent, fitted, and joined to that chief cornerstone. That the Lord bless them abundantly, and in turn they may bless us in being and becoming that chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy and special people who proclaim the praises of Jesus, who calls all men and women everywhere out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And Jay's going to lead us in prayer. Right. We're going to ask Brian and Kirsten to go down here so that uh, I'd like to ask any of you that would like to come up and pray for them. I'm going to open us and then close us, but uh, now would be a great time to come up to give your affirmation, your hand, to make sure that they understand how supported they are, how fully we are going to be able to support them as they take on this role. Let's pray. God, our Father, and creator of all things. We come before you with thanksgiving and joy for all that you have done. Thanksgiving for the past leadership whose desire has always been that this body, this community serves you and serves you well. 
God, bless those who have led us in the past faithfully. Our joy as a community and, and as, a, as elders is to see Kirsten and Brian be raised up from with our, in our ranks to lead us. In this new official capacity, God, we pray that you would continue to guide them, continue to speak through them, and continue to use them for your glory in our midst. God, we end this time with joy, with thanksgiving, and with praise in your precious son's name, Jesus. Amen.